0: You are listening to Fantha Tracks. You're tuned in to Fantha Tracks Radio. This is the Fantha from Down Under. Get out, my
1: Star Wars News in a single file.
0: Coming to you live from Quinlan's Cantina in the Gold Coast of Australia, this is your slice of Australian Star Wars News. Hosted by the malt himself, Adam O'Brien. All righty, mate. Alrighty, Let's mate. get into Let's it. Get into <laughs> it. <laughs> G'day, folks. How are you doing? This year is The Panther from Down Under, brought to you by, of course, Panther Tracks, where all your Star Wars news is in a single file. And, of course, here on Panther from Down Under on Panther Tracks Radio, I have with me one of Chicago's finest, one of the greatest Star Wars fans out there, a filmmaker, and somebody who just happens to love the greatest Star Wars film since Empire Strikes Back rogue one is the one the only chris marks mate how are you hey thanks for having me on the show and man you are
1: in the spot that i want to be australia yeah. i love that place
0: oh we love it too i love chicago too man the history in that city alone the music the the uh, the characters everything and of course the great podcasters and filmmakers mate what a place
1: Yeah, it it, it is a magical place. I I would say that. Chicago, New York. It's funny. I love New York. I'm one of the few Chicagoans that loves New York more than my own city. But I'm so happy that you appreciate my city as much as I do.
0: Very cool, very cool. Definitely. I mean, look, we've got... I don't know if you... When you're out here in Australia, we're just saying off-air, folks, that uh, obviously Chris has been here many years ago in Australia. But in Melbourne, for us, is very much Chicago. Uh, Melbourne is a place uh, down in Victoria which is just filled with music, um, very multicultural, different um, you know, ethnicities, bringing their culture together, but also the food, the, the climate and the music. That's what I feel
1: Yeah, I, I, I got to check Melbourne out. I, I, I did not make it there. Uh, when I go back, which will hopefully be in a couple of years, uh, I'll definitely check that out for sure.
0: Definitely. Now, folks, of course, obviously, apart from being a Star Wars fan, Chris is also a filmmaker. And if you haven't seen his documentaries, He's just about to tell you about them
1: you can see them for free if you have amazon prime you know and it was funny because uh, I've, I've released so many dvds uh the force among us the first documentary I made it's pretty much a hallmark card of star wars fans i sold out 1977 copies and then we had to make a director's cut and We sold, got about 1,000-plus more. Um, So I'm used to selling DVDs, which is more profitable than when Amazon pays independent filmmakers via streaming. So uh, it's my gift to the fans now after all these years. (laughs) (laughs) If you have an Amazon Prime membership, you can check out my two Star Wars documentaries. I, I prefer my second one, The Force Within Us, just because it's my personal story. My personal journey in that one, and Ashley Eckstein was interviewed in that, and Jeremy Bullock, and we, you know, we filmed in uh, uh, Northern California and Death Valley. It's just it's a magical movie, magical movie for sure. Um, and then uh, the Walkers Among Us, which focuses
0: on the fandom of The Walking Dead, which is great. I, I um, think it's real burgeoning fandom. You know, it's uh, the, the, again that's that TV series came out. And at first, I didn't know what to think, because, I mean, the zombies, there's been a lot of zombie stuff, let's face it, you know, there's been a lot. But Walking Dead, the characters really sucked you in.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, it was it was different, you know, I mean, you could almost say that that might have been the Rogue One of the zombie franchise. You know, oh, you yeah. fell in love with the characters, you followed these characters, you know, you died with these characters. Um, it was very, very fortunate to interview a lot of the cast and crew from The Walking Dead as well. Um, And even though I was telling you, uh, you know, I'm very, very passionate about Star Wars. I'm a fan of The Walking Dead, but the passion is on a different level between those two franchises. I was a little disappointed with the reception, I would say. Perception, not reception. Um, Or reception, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) However I want to say that. Uh, The fan base was just not as passionate about receiving a documentary about their fandom as, say, all these generations of Star Wars fans. I I got noticed and thanked and handshakes and hugs. This is obviously pre-COVID-19 days. Um, Just signed a lot of autographs for the Star Wars fans. I felt appreciated. And I think with the Walking Dead documentary, I didn't feel half that appreciation. It was more of a, Self satisfying accomplishment mm-hmm. because as a filmmaker, it was my third film and I knew what I was doing by that point, so it was much more mature, you know.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think, and, think as you say, that the fandom is at a different level, I think, because you know, the books have been out for a while the graphic novels, uh, obviously, The Walking Dead. But I think, you know, the, seeing it visualized, seeing it, you know, and, and the fact that you can actually sit there, not I mean, it's even pre-streaming that series. You know, that was one where you know you'd watch it either on cable TV or oh, I just got the box sets and I would just sit there and watch them straight all the way through, and then I would rewatch them because it's one of those shows. There's Easter eggs in there for those that haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely
1: kind of you know if you went back and re-watched it, that's a lot of time, man. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The show's been on since 2010. I mean, yeah. that's that's God, it's 10 years. You know, oh, yeah. hard to believe it's been that long. Hard to believe it's been that long. <laughs> and well, our documentary kind of came out yeah. in the middle of that. It came out in 2015, and obviously because the show's been on for so long, I feel like as an outsider looking in, I feel like the fan base—you <sighs> you lost a lot of casual fans,
0: yeah, I believe.
1: Definitely, definitely. You know. Like Star Wars, you know, Star Wars did when uh, Star Wars kind of comes and goes, you know, like for me and you when episode three was over, we were still there. But then you have like celebration uh, coinciding with The Force Awakens and this big hoopla all over again. But it's even bigger than it was for the prequels. It's because you have this new generation of fans coming up and you also have the fairweather fans that weren't there in between episode three and episode seven and now they want to join in on the party that we've been hanging at for years
0: (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean 40 years or more now we've had this fantastic franchise to enjoy you know since being kids you know all the way through you know for me it was every christmas you know get up december and then. You know, uh, Santa Claus has been here. Go and check out Under... And then, boom, of this, of that. And I'm like, yeah, like it's putty time. And I kind of feel that, you know, like obviously each generation's had their different, you know, entry point. Uh, whether it's the animated series, um, or even a cousin of mine, it was the Ewok films. Uh, you know, with, um, you know, the, the sort of TV sort of go... And then they got to watch the droids uh, cartoon and all that sort of stuff. And one of those guys now is on eBay, like crazy, going... Oh, I want to get those hard-to-find, well, never released, actually, droid stuff, like the, the, the toys. They were never really released. So, like, he's trying to get them. No, oh, yeah. And, and some of it yeah, looks pretty damn good, actually.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're good. And they're, they're, like you said, they weren't really... In the States, when they were released, they weren't released for very long. You Ooh. know, like with the original Star Wars uh, toys, you had a lot of those being reproduced, uh you know on different cards empire strikes back return of the jedi but those figures would all i mean you get a walrus man walrus man was in the first film you get him on a return of the jedi card so they mm. made him for seven years but the droids uh and the the, the droids uh, figures they released them probably for one year and they were gone and that's why they're so expensive you oh, know they,
0: they really are you know and that's the thing is i think we all have that callback i mean for yourself, Chris, what was one thing, a bit of whether it's a memorabilia or something from back as a kid? You go, hey man, this is it. This is what got me going. God, you know, one of
1: one of the things that always it's it's in my collection. Again, uh, one of the things that I always love is the uh, the, the vintage Kenner Star Destroyer. Mm. I remember getting that. I was the only one on the block that had that toy. My cousin who had the Millennium Falcon, he had the Adat, you know, he had a a lot of different toys that I didn't have. Um, And I had the one toy that he didn't have, and that was the Star Destroyer. Oh wow! And uh, a really crazy story, I bought it on eBay. Back, we bought it because mine was beat to shit, you know, I, I didn't have it anymore from when I was a kid. So I bought it on eBay in 2002 for $100. Yeah. And it was sealed. Oh wow. And something was bouncing inside. And I'm like, I just bought this for a hundred dollars. That's too low for a price that's sealed. Something's about, so I told my cousin, I said, I'm gonna crack this open. And cracked it open and I was like, Oh my god, the tape that held the little light for Vader's chamber, the tape had rotted. Oh wow. So the light bulb was bouncing away. Boun- bouncing around in the box and my cousin's like you know what that's not a bad thing because a lot of people if you would sell that by chance a lot of people like to see the contents Ooh. instead of just buying something sealed that it's they can't open money. and they can't see the inside you know so that, that actually gave me a little peace of mind but that, that is one of the items that kind of always brings me back to uh to, to, to my childhood and that one piece that i i cherished when i was a kid
0: you know, I was uh, a similar situation. I, I remember going to a cold supermarket with my mum years ago. You know, on that uh, This would have been uh, at the time of Empire. we just moved from Sydney to Brisbane. And she goes, hey, Adam, hey, mate, come, here, come over here, check this out. And she, she holds up this little card and went, that's Luke Skywalker. I said, uh, and, and I still remember this day. No, nah, it can't be. He's got a yellow sword. <laughs> <laughs> with the other the <laughs> And, and oh, I actually yeah, knocked it back, yeah. I, I said, I don't want that, that's garbage. I said, give me 3PO, because 3PO looks so good as a Kenner figure.
1: Yeah, yeah, shiny, right? Shiny, gold, yeah. Man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, and of course, hey, you know, hey. I, later I got the figure, you know, the Luke, and then I found out, you know, that obviously that was the thing, you know, they, they had that, it had that little weird little bit of stringy sort of bit of plastic at the front, so when you did pull it forward, you knew there was still a sword there
1: yeah 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 any of those kenner figures man just bring me back i mean any of them <laughs> i mean even the ones that i even the ones that i thought sucked when i was a kid like you know um i uh, got the first figure i ever got was was um Snaggletooth. Snag- i was so disappointed because oh, i wanted luke. i wanted luke i didn't want Snaggletooth. Yeah. but even that figure like brings me back like hey i remember getting this as my first figure you know <laughs> And I mean, a lot of those figures that came out for Return of the Jedi, I mean, they were just pumping those out. And, you know, like Wee Quay, the Skiff Guard, I mean, he was, he's cool now, but at the time, it's like everybody had him because he was everywhere. And um, even those figures are are, are cool. Even the ones we didn't like when we were kids are so cool now, and they bring us back you know, to that time. It really
0: does. It really you know, I never had the Falcon. That's one thing I never had. Now I've got about seven of the bloody things. You know, because I never had it as a kid. But I always collected the Snow Speeders, the X Wings, and um, the Speeder bikes. So uh, the Speeder bike to me was the cool thing. That that was the Harley fricking Davidson of Star Wars. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, too. I mean, you know, the, the cool thing about the the Speeder bike was it had that button that busted it apart, Woo-hoo! and there were it was no no Star Wars toy had that feature, you know? The Imperial yeah. Attack Base, right, you push the button and the walls came in, but as far as a vehicle, and it was affordable, too. I mean, speeder yeah. bike was, you know, even the poor kids could afford a speeder bike. Um, there was something very cool about that. And, uh, you know, the the Princess Leia in the disguise, the helmet came off, Lando's yeah. helmet came off. Th- those were different toys because no Star Wars, Toys had
0: those features before, you know? Yeah, they're really cool. And well ahead of the game. I mean, we didn't have it until probably that cartoon mask uh, that came at MASK with the little removable helmet. Oh, yeah, vehicles. yeah,
1: Matt.
0: Yeah. mask was very cool. That was Kenner, too, I think, if I remember right. I remember. That was it, Kenner, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was Kenner. I mean, Kenner had all the cool stuff back in the day, you know, like um before. Hasbro, uh, I suppose, took over and, and did what they did. But it, it's interesting. like A lot of that stuff now, I look back on, and I am I moved houses years ago from uh, Brisbane to the Gold Coast. So we're the surfing capital of Australia. Um, and and when we went there, and went, oh, I don't need those Ninja Turtles. I don't need all that mask stuff. Look, just, just throw it <laughs> out there. And then i look on eBay later on. And I'm like, yeah, no, they're fun. It's, I think the timing of those was when you look back at it, Kenner came out with that stuff. The only other good figures they were at was Buck Rogers in the 21st century. had that great series of stuff. I mean, Ralph McQuarrie gave us the old Viper that didn't make it as the ship. So he had these great starfighters and eight points of articulation, not just five in the figures.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I, you
0: know, speaking of our articulation, I think, um, you know,
1: I really think G.I. Joe and He-Man kind of killed the Star Wars toys, you know, because by the time... He-Man, um, you know, Star Wars was pretty much on the bed. Okay, as a 10-year-old boy, you either have a choice of the droids cartoon or He-Man. <laughs> He-Man. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was hard not to be in a He-Man at that point, you know? So I always kind of say that G.I. Joe and He-Man killed, killed Star Wars. If Star Wars would have kept going, I think it would have kept up. But as soon as it quieted down, I think everybody just wanted something—the next thing
0: at that point, you know. Oh, definitely. We, we we all do. I think you know. You look at that stuff and you think, you know. Um, I go back to um, say the Batman franchise, for example. You say, so, you know, Tim Burton's for for me as a kid was the the epitome, and then Nolan comes out making the you know this great series in your hometown, by the way, in Chicago. You know, there's, yeah, you yeah. Know, and boom, I'm like whoa okay that is batman and it's the same thing everything updates itself i think at the point where we go well that is cooler <laughs> you know like, yeah sure sure well
1: speaking about that batman uh, that trilogy that last one that came out that was i mean god you know i remember when the michael keaton batman came out and i thought that was cool yeah. you know um but uh the the, the latest batman trilogy the one that they shot in Chicago, you know, uh, for the first one anyway, that, that was over the top, man. I Ooh. mean, the, 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 the actors that they had in that, the music that they had in that, the feel that they had in that, it was definitely, it would have been cool to see, it's too bad the prequels couldn't have done with the, Last oh, yeah. Batman trilogy, dude, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely.
0: Look, there's, there's a certain element of revisionist when I look back at it as filmmakers, you know? You look at what no- uh, Nolan and Bale and or, and even Heath Ledger, as the Joker, did, and everyone's trying to repeat those things now. Even with Marvel, they've tried to repeat that sort of formula to a certain extent, you know, trying to revise things and make them cooler. But, um, and even uh, Joaquin Phoenix with the Joker, there's, there's little bits of Heath Ledger coming through there, you know, and it's... Yeah, it's because,
1: yeah, yeah. There, there, there has to be. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. because you can't really have the Joker without what Heath Ledger did. Um, I, I thought the the, the the Joker film. I thought it fit right in there with the Batman mm-hmm. trilogy. You know, I, it had that same feel, and um, yeah, I think that I think that's what what made Rogue One so special as well. Is they 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 didn't really go. I feel like they didn't really try to do anything super different. Yep. They just did what George was doing back in the day,
0: you yeah. know? Yeah, they channeled it. Even though it
1: f- was different.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think there's a definite channeling of GL, you know, the aesthetic there. You know, it's there. Um, Tarkin's what drew me in straight away. Boom! You know, like, it was almost like a bullet aimed for me. You know, it went, right, I'm <laughs> there. Like, it's it's it literally feels like it's 10 minutes before A New Hope. When he's going, you know, where these style systems will slip through your fingers, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. There's there's great bits of dialogue. Uh, And it was great to have it, not have Jedi. I hate to say, as a role-playing game guy, I play a lot of, um, you know, the Edge of the Empire and stuff from Fantasy Flight games. And it's all scoundrels. It's all the, you know, the spice runners and, you know, get that stuff out there and get some credits for it. Come on, you know, all that sort of stuff. But uh, the minute you put a Jedi in there, they're like gods. You know, they're they're superhuman. You know, like no matter what you do, they will take over. And the story has to be about them because, yes, they are that powerful. You know, uh, uh, it's as simple as that. But to see um, the two great guardians on Jedha join the team, and um, you know, God, we got some of the best potential uh, mythology without the Force users, all in those two characters.
1: You know. Uh... As, as, a, as a big fan of, of, of the Jedi, I have a huge, like every Jedi action figure that came out, that, that's the one thing that drew me in about the prequels, was really? the Jedi and the Jedi Council and all those background characters that we kind of absorbed as adults like we were when we were kids when we first saw the Bounty Hunters on the screen. Yes. Yeah. And I was, I, I knew that there wasn't going to be the Jedi in, in Rogue One, but when we got the, the the taste of the last possibly remaining Jedi or Force users, or at this point, Force believers, right? Yeah. With Baze and Shuret. That was enough mystical goodness, <laughs> you know, to be like, wow, he actually believes in the Force, even though he doesn't know the Force. Because <laughs> all the Jedis, all the Jedis were, you know, we saw them die mm-hmm. in one of the saddest star wars cinematic scenes and revenge of the sith oh, yeah. i mean even to this day i get a little teary-eyed at that part so to kind of pick up years later after we know that what happened to the jedi to see baze and churit that i would say that kind of drew me in it wasn't tarkin it was baze and Bayes and Chirrut were the ones that drew me in you know i had negative expectations going oh, into Rogue point, one
0: yeah i've got to say i had the same i thought why are they doing this movie set before A New Hope? I mean, it's basically like episode 3.5. You know, like that's what it felt to me You know, as a, as a viewer before I'd even seen the trailer. And then the thing, this is the other thing that got me too, and I love it, on Jed Ha. Saul Guerrera really surprised the LAB. I thought, well, it's going to be nice to have this little cameo. But no, Forrest Whitaker literally took those scenes over completely. He's kind of this element as a partisan rebel that just goes, you know, straight away goes. He doesn't say anything. He just goes, oh, kill it. That's it. That's all he needed to say. (laughs) Bull Gullet. You're like, and you can see straight away, like everyone's going, what the hell's a Bull Gullet?
1: (laughs) You know, it's uh, the the chemistry between those actors. I mean, you know, I would say that because there were more actors in Rogue One than there was with Carrie Mark, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and then Harrison, yeah. I would say that the chemistry in Rogue One was just off the radar, it was off the charts, and because of my negative expectations, and I was like, how, how the hell can you make a, a Star Wars soundtrack without John Williams? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, 100%, Giacchino, uh, who, who I think, you know, like, singly came in with a two weeks, or whatever it was, like three weeks, I think it was, to... To make that work, you know? And uh, uh, on my Star Trek podcast with Mark Newbolt, we've got a, a, a composer that works for It's called James Semple. So putting a, a, a bit of a shout out to him there. He knows uh, of Giacchino's work, and he, he himself, is his composer, he said he pulled out a miracle to, to get that out there and, you know, be its own beast uh, with, you know, reminiscent of Williams at the same time, but be its own beast in that short time is an absolute bloody miracle. It was the force work. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it says a lot about his
1: talent, for sure. I mean, you know, he was put in a situation with very, very little time, very high pressure, uh, you know, probably expecting that, I mean, he was really the first one to do a Star Wars soundtrack that wasn't John Williams, so he probably felt from a personal level that he had Possibly big shoes to fill Even though he was getting a paycheck at the end of the day But the guy still delivered oh, yeah. And I was listening to A, a mix on um, On Alexa uh, The Amazon device today And there was a song that came on I never heard it before and I'm like Alexa Who is this? And of course It was it was him yeah. And I, I don't know what movie it was from But I was like man Of course it is It's, it's the guy that composed the Rogue One soundtrack <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's You're great. Beautiful he, music, man. And, and Star Trek as well. He he revitalised Star Trek for JJ in in just yeah, the yeah, musical yeah, core. Yeah. A little bit of Alexander Courage, a little bit of the others, you know, and coming together and you know because there, there's so much of a history of um, that sound. I mean, even Star Trek's music itself influenced a bit of what Williams did later. It, it's it's they're all coming together, and um, oh, I just love it. The fact the film gave us that, but also I personally now. This is not a, a slight at the sequel trilogy, but I believe Jyn ErsO had one film, one film, one job was to go from beginning to end to show you the entire of her life as a young, um, you know, rebel, and then all the way through to basically, you know, becoming an intelligence operative. She does it perfectly. We see her whole thing come round to you know being angsty to somebody that um, is the heart core of Star Wars, which is about sacrifice for others, true heroism. She did it in one movie. We didn't see that in the sequel trilogy, uh, in the same way, the same manner. It, it was there, but it took up to the third film to get to it, and it's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. You know what? I, my,
0: I, I would say my, my comment
1: on that. Yes, um, I believe you know because a friend was a friend of mine wasn't super big on Rogue One. He goes, ah, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that Jyn Erso. You know, wasn't interested, and then all of a sudden she became like, "Oh, I need to do this." I'm like, "Well, yeah," because she didn't really give a shit about the plans. Mm. She cared about her father, Mm -hmm. and I think with the message, the hologram message, and then her father dying in her arms, that's why she did it. That's why she did it. You know, even though there was a big... the message I believe came from Galen. It was oh, yeah, Galen yeah. had the purpose. And, you know, he said jump, and, you know, his daughter said how high and, you know, whatever. I mean, again, I was talking to a friend earlier, and I'm like, I think the reason why I loved Rogue One so much, too, is because it was a story about a a, a daughter and her father. And because I have a daughter, and it's my only child, I am more connected with that now than I was... You know, Empire Strikes Back, my dad died when I was seven. I felt like I was on this Luke Skywalker journey, trying to find out why he passed away. I found out, you know, years later, and um, I was Luke Skywalker at that time. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that part of my life has come to closure. And now I'm on a new chapter in my life, and that is why I think Rogue One is my favorite movie instead of Empire Strikes Back now because I can connect with it now more than I could Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Years ago, Empire Strikes Back was the best Star Wars movie, but I don't know. There were so many things about Rogue One that resonate with me today, you know, that, that are relevant, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That film in I, I don't know that if that makes, makes sense. sense. No, no, it does, it does. <laughs> Um, you know, look, I think the other thing that really got me was Cassian Andor, who I resonated with because uh, I had a similar situation. My my dad died from cancer very, very um, young in my age. Uh, he was, uh, in oh God, would have been only 49 when he passed, and uh, I was only about 20, 21 or whatever it was. So I headed the family now after that. And one of the things that I take from his thing is that he lost his family. He had to join the rebellion. At, I've been in this fight since I was six years old, he said, straight away, you know. Not, yeah, everyone's yeah. lost somebody. He says, and, and a lot of that—that that is sacrifice. But moving beyond the grief of it, beyond and, and it's one of the things I think I had to do because I had to leave the family at the time. Um, and I think we all have to. We have to step up. Uh, and that's what resonated me about that story. But for me, a similar situation. For me, it was the father and son story of Empire that really grasped me. You know, got your hold of me. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until years later, Phantom Menace actually did it for me where. I felt I was a follower and not a leader of a family where, um, you know, it was like Obi-Wan. You know, go, hey, Qui-Gon says I do. Qui-Gon says I do. And then episode three shows you, you no, he had some thoughts about it. He said, look, there's a certain rebellious streak that they have, that that Qui-Gon has. But I'm going to be smart about it. I'm going to play, you know, the doctrine of the Jedi to a certain extent, but I'm going to think for myself. And that's that middle ground that I found, and that was Obi-Wan from episode three.
1: Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith, a Star Wars fan the tracks fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, it's the character relation, right? Yes, you know. Hundred percent, I mean, I always thought that one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite characters from the from the prequels was um, uh, it was it was, it was Qui Gon. You mm-hmm. know, and especially at the time, um, at the time that time of my life in. You know, the early 2000s, I, I was I was involved in uh, religion. And I was very different than the people that I was affiliating myself with. And I always thought that Qui-Gon was a pure example of believing in something, but not necessarily doing it the way that everybody else wants to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I really thought Qui-Gon's character was just so cool because he had this spiritual side to him. But he was very rebellious, too, you know? He's like, oh, "Yeah, just because you guys do this thing a certain way, it doesn't mean I'm a non-believer, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, definitely.
1: So, yeah, character relation in Star Wars, I think, is definitely the thing that that draws us in more and makes us fall in love with those films even more, you know?
0: That's right. I kind of feel like Geil, even back as far as, you know, 94, 95, when he was starting to cast Phantom Menace, and obviously, Liam was the last one on their list. He wasn't the one that they went for straight away because it's kind of left field. They were looking at American and Scottish actors and even Russell Crowe's name was thrown up there for one of those characters, whether it be Obi-Wan or, or um, Qui-Gon. Because at one stage, I think Qui-Gon was the younger um, on that. But um, one name that keeps coming up is Sean Connery. And I kind of think Sean Connery as Qui-Gon would be almost too much. I think Yes, of course.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, Sean Connery would be a little bit too much, I think. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I thought that casting for... Uh, that I think all that casting for all the Star Wars movies was, was great. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Jimmy Smith and uh, Ewan McGregor and, and uh, Sam Jackson and Liam Neeson and Ewan McDermott. That is why the prequels cannot suck. Because oh, yeah. those guys oh, yeah. were brilliant in the delivery, you know? So brilliant. I think, you know, with the sequels... I, I, even, those actors were good, but they weren't they, they weren't on the caliber of those actors that I just mentioned, no, you know no, I mean? No.
0: The only one that is for me is Driver. Like, Driver, he he didn't associate himself with the other actors. He just, I am Kylo Ren. That's it. He just went straight away into it. <laughs> and, you know, like, even in the scenes, the, the best scene for me in all of the sequel trilogy is when that poor little officer walks into the room and goes, I'm sorry, but the, the Rebels escaped. And he just starts trashing the place with his saber. And I'm like, that's a dude that's into his role. Like, he's just getting right in there and going for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I thought he was brilliant because I remember
1: the first time I saw Star Wars uh, A New Hope. uh, It was probably, God, I want to say no no more than four years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I saw it. Before Empire, I was five when Empire came out. And I remember the scene that I hated the most was Darth Vader spinning around. And I'm like, man, why is that guy not dead? Well, yeah. if they got even die because we wouldn't have had the Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like that with Kylo Ren. I hated Kylo Ren so much as a character. I'm like, this guy's an asshole, you know? Mm. But then by the time... You know, episode eight came out. I started to side with him a little bit more. And then by episode nine, I was like, you know, I'm kind of dying with this character. You oh, know, really? I really I really did. Like, I hated Kylo Ren. I thought he was okay. And then by the time it was over, he was the character that I kind of followed in
0: that sequel, you know? Same here. Like, he, he's, for me, the little Skywalker that could... You know, like he's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get to the midpoint. He he sees his father's ghost or whatever it is. He throws his saber, and you're like, "Yes, now begin next movie." Like that's it. I don't care about Ray's story at this point. That's it. Ben Solo, give me that movie. That's what I wanted. Right,
1: right. <laughs> now you know what's funny because you know we're talking about character relation, and I think if you. Talk to a Star Wars fan that didn't know their parents at all, okay, which would make you uh, a foster child or an orphan, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in the big picture, there's probably not, you know, the ratio is probably pretty small for that, if you don't know your parents at all. I'm sure Ray is your favorite character Mm -hmm. because you can relate to that character that way. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. And a lot of people complain about the direction of Star Wars and, you know, oh, it's getting too female-driven. But, I mean, God, man, look at Jen Urso She was a perfect character. Mm-hmm. That was 100% female. It's yeah. got nothing to do with female characters.
0: My well, <laughs> favorite franchises have got them. Sarah uh, Connor from Terminator is my favorite oh, character in really? that series because she's, she's got the balls to stand up. She's not a machine, you know. She, she, she's got it herself. That's it and yet she will stand toe-to-toe up against Arnold going, "Yeah, I'm coming, you know, like, it, he'll he'll face that up, but he, he can't go up against it. Ripley, Alien, I mean, crikey, those Xenomorphs. No, she does. Yeah. not ain't, ain't even a bar, let give me a pulse rifle, let's go. You know, like, it's, toughness is right there. It was, it was there the whole time. The, the fact that, um, you know, we're looking at it now, it was the characters were just so well done. Yes,
1: yes, yeah, and you'll, Female characters have been an important role in movies for for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I wouldn't say dominant over the male role, but they've been strong characters. Oh, you yeah, know, like you said, Sarah Connor, um, Sigourney Weaver—those were characters from many, many, many generations ago. Um, I, I just—I don't know. I, I don't—I don't know what it was, man, but. You know, again,
0: you know, Rogue One is my favourite star. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, we're even to the point of you've got the big daddy of franchises about to launch. Uh, and if you follow my feed, folks, you'll know that I'm a June nut. So, you know, Denis Villeneuve has got June launching in December. The picks look fantastic. I've even put some 3D ones up there for you guys to check out on my main page. Um, so it looks the goods. And you've even got Poe Dameron playing Jugletto. You know, like it's a massive role. Big part. He's basically the Qui Gon Jin of June, you know, like it's massive. But um, that big daddy of films is going to come out, and I think it's going to be the adult Star Wars some older fans have been waiting for.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I, 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 I can. I can see that. I mean, it, it's you know, if you remember too, back in the day, there were always films that came out after. Star Wars kind of set the tone, mm-hmm. you know, there, were, there was, uh, there was Doom back then, uh, the last Starfighter, oh, hell yes. um, you know, even, I don't know, because Aliens, Alien came out in 79, I believe, yeah. and, you know, Aliens, which is my favorite from that yeah. franchise, that came out in 86, but that was maybe more action driven, that wasn't necessarily a, uh, a, a byproduct of the Star Wars type,
0: you know. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I'm partial to Alien 3 as well because they just threw it in a prison with a whole bunch of British convicts and went, all right, have at it and swear as much as you like. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, and uh, you can tell Sigourney's going in there going, bloody hell, this is like a theatre class going wrong. What the hell? <laughs> you know, I,
1: I think my, my biggest disappointment of Alien 3, when I saw that in the theatre, I was like, why... Why did they have to kill Michael Bean's character? Oh, they should have yes. kept him alive.
0: Hundred <laughs> percent, man. Hicks was the man. Like, a, and it was yeah. a bit of a family. You had the father, Hicks, uh, Ripley, the mother, and you had Newt, which was the the daughter. And only yeah. now have they put out an audio drama. Now, an official audio drama that continues without having Alien Three, the aliens' story, and Lance Henriksen and Michael Bean came back. No kidding!
1: No kidding! that oh, wow, that was, that was yeah, I, I gotta I gotta check that out I gotta check that out yeah I think that was my biggest complaint about alien 3 was I mean a- aliens if you think about it too aliens was a little bit like a like a, like an adult version of Rogue one right because yes. you've had these characters I mean the character development was not as good it was a lot faster withdrawal. You know, but you had these really cool characters and everybody died.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 100% it's the same feel. I mean, Vasquez, one of the most powerful women in uh, sci-fi. You know, she's got the big smart yeah. gun, you know. And when she goes, let's rock, I mean, that's it. It's it's a rock concert. Well,
1: I think that was, that, that's what made that movie so scary, too. It's like you have all these badasses and they're just being wiped out left and right. You know, Uh, Rogue Rogue One, too, I think that was another beautiful part of that film, was that you fell in love with these characters, and then you literally watched them all die, literally one by one, and they all had very emotional, honorable deaths, and I think... That really was, uh, you know, when you fall in love with something and it's and it's gone by the end of the movie. That doesn't really happen in
0: Hollywood, you know. No, 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 doesn't. I mean, this is more <laughs> Everybody like where you know? <laughs> It's more like, like crime dramas or even Japanese period dramas where the samurai always dies. You know, like you look at back at some of those characters and even the bad guy Ben Mendelssohn, the Australia uh, we we know as Mendo. Hey, Mendo, mate, how you going? And he's like, you know, he he, he at start drops his shuttle on the planet. He's looking for Galen, and he goes. Hey, Galen, Mike, hey, Galen, come on back. Let's go. Let's get this disc cracked. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's going to have a bad you know,
1: that, I, I think. I think even at the end of the movie, there was part of me that felt a little bit for his character. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, even though he was a bad person you know you just you realize when he is when he is dying you know after he got shot by Jin he's dying he's he's looking at his achievements right and he knows he's dying right?
0: oh yeah <laughs> you yeah, like, definitely
1: god definitely. that would suck to be in that situation <laughs> <You know? laughs> so i don't know man i mean when when you God, just all those characters in that movie were just were just brilliant you know and i really yeah. wish I don't know if that will ever happen in another Star Wars film moving. I was not expecting that to happen in a Star Wars film, and I don't think it'll happen in a Star Wars film ever again. I just,
0: that was kind of lightning in a bottle. You it know? was, and especially the ending. Battle of got all these X-Wings just all of a sudden come in, and you come like, rogue, uh, red leader uh, standing by, and they're like, oh! It's, it's all the, the footage <laughs> come back, here, and you going, yes! And then the battle's going on, and then all of a sudden we see the Hammerhead Old Republic ships coming in, smashing into the side of these Star Destroyers. I'm like, that's the Easter egg of all Easter eggs. My God.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it sure, it sure was. And you know, the thing about that film too, it there was something about those characters, like that the Hammerhead Captain. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, and those those uh, those Rebel Fleet troopers at the end of the movie. It was. It reminded me of when I was a kid, and you saw a character. On screen in a Star Wars movie for less than a minute, maybe less than two minutes, and you wanted to know more about them, and you go out and you buy the action figure, a Bosque. Bosque had for 10 seconds on screen, but we were drawn into those characters. All those Rogue One characters that were in the film for less than a minute, I felt like a child again. I'm like, who is oh, yeah. that guy? Where did he come from? What's his name? <laughs> what and then, you know, IMDB, what's that actor's name? What else has he been in? i got to see all his other movies. You know? <laughs> it's like a fever, you know? It's it's a fever and it spreads. It's crazy.
0: That's great. I mean, one of my dear pals now, and he's, uh, he's got his own podcast now as well, is Eric Walker, who played Mace Tawani in Caravan. Oh, yeah, Cage. Eric Walker, yes. Yeah, and Balavendor. And, uh, you know, he's the first person like us that says the same thing. Like, he was a fan. Yeah, uh, surprised that as a kid he got the job, went in there and, you know, he did his thing, worked with George and all that. But the great thing about it is then, in hindsight, looking back and um, sort of becoming a musician now instead of an actor and uh, looking outside the ball, he said, you know, I'm a fan, but I kind of look at it and he sees it from the different angle. But he says to see that you're in the, the, the height of it, it's, it's work, you know, but, and then you pull away from it and you see this sprawling story get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, that, yeah. That's a hell of an achievement.
1: By the way, yeah, it's funny that you mention that, uh, I guess analogy because I remember um, when I made the first documentary, uh, my uh, my my co-producer's wife had said that after we were done filming. She's like, "You you you kind of need to take a break now because you've been at the eye of the you've been in the eye of the storm mm. the whole time. You know, you're in this hurricane. It's kind of what filmmaking is like, especially in the beginning." stages of a career, you know, you're in the center of the storm and you don't really know what's going on the, the outside, you know, but then when you remove yourself, you get a chance to kind of look back, see the progression, see, you know, the other, the bigger parts of the, of the picture, you know? So yeah, it was, it was kind of cool that uh, Eric Walker had a little bit
0: of that similar, uh, Analogy about his fandom, even you know. Oh yeah, big time. And, and now as a museo too, uh, he's sort of uh, a, 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 an electronic artist. It does a lot of techno and stuff with like the dance music, bit of funk there. But there's something atmospheric and movie, almost soundtrack about it. It's really interesting um, sort of style. I always say, go and check it out because it's something completely different, but also really involves. There's there's a Star Wars feel to it. Oh, I
1: mean, there has to be, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like everything that I do, too, is like, you know, and I wasn't even officially part of the Star Wars universe, you know. I just mm. was a, a fan that made some uh, productions based on my fandom because of Star Wars. I feel like everything I do is
0: Star Wars driven, you know. I even feel that It's, it's it, it, you know, it's got an Australian blood because there's a George out here by the name of George Miller who we all know very well as the Mad Max guy. And if you look at this bad boy, the guy from Fury Road, there is a bit of a Vader influence creeping through, particularly through his breathing apparatus.
1: Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. That's, that's really cool, actually. You know, I think the thing about Darth Vader is, thought, you know, we lost about his lethality. You know, you look at um, Darth Vader, Rogue One really brought him back, even just going to um, Mustafar, and seeing him just literally open up there and go, "You feel like you're being treated unfairly," he does the whole speech again.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, as a fan of uh, Episode Three, I mean that that film, Rogue One, connected Episode Three with A New Hope. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole really? scene on Mustafar. I mean, that, that's right out of that's right out of uh, Episode Three. You know. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, yeah I still don't understand why they didn't cast Hayden for that part. Um, mm. I understand the lightsaber-wielding parts, okay? Because it's a different... It's more of a stuntman's job, you know? Yeah. But just to get the opportunity to put the suit on again, it would have been nice if Hayden had that opportunity. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, feel, yeah, I feel that way about Hayden with Vader in Rogue One. Like, some people feel about Ashley Eckstein not getting the role of
0: Ahsoka. Yeah, in the TV series. Know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Look, in Mandalorian. I, you know, I look I look at it, and uh, obviously what they're doing with it, and um, I think, you know, Hayden, to me, he did a lot more than people give him credit for. But you look at episode two and three, if it goes, it's so monotone. His delivery is, uh, you know, so robotic. I'm like you might want to match up what James Earl Jones was doing and really look at it because he's actually done a very convincing Vader or pre-Vader to me. Like, it's right there. There's sarcasm. There's a heart to it. There's a frustration. It's already in the character. And Hayden was only accentuating those as more of a human part. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point. i never heard that before,
1: but uh, I I can see that clearly Um, because you don't want to go from one extreme to the other. You know, um, I, I, I liked Hayden uh, in the prequels. I thought his, you know, the thing about episode two is it was the love story. And it's like, okay, do we really want to see a love story? Maybe some of it, but maybe not to the extent that they played it out. in. But, you know, the thing is a lot of people forget about it. episode two still felt like George Lucas.
0: Yeah, oh, I sure did, big time.
1: You know, it it was still in that same line, and the the thing about the prequels was that it felt like George Lucas, and it felt like you know four, five, and six pre pre dating. You know, oh, yeah. um, I don't know if seven, eight, and nine really felt like George Lucas. You know what yeah, it, I mean,
0: it, it feels like a, a legacy trilogy for me. Um, we had a recent guest on another filmmaker by the name of Adam Harris, who's a Australian. Documentary. Oh yeah, I know Adam!
1: Yeah, I know Adam. <laughs> Adam's and, a cool
0: cat, man. Nice, nice. A- and Adam said, you know, um, I-, I think a lot of people are going to agree with me. You know, episode one to six is the saga for him. Like well, it- it's 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 a beginning, middle, and an end, and it's a father and a son. It's Luke and Anakin. This legacy trilogy does not continue that. It, it is not seven, eight, nine for him. That's it. It ended there. Um, but this is kind of like an ancillary data it's kind of like when you look at Lord of the Rings it's all that bonus content you get at the end of the the book that you know Tolkien just keeps waffling on and on and goes and yes the runes of the Dwarves doors said I shall have a cup of tea for summer you know or something like that you know it's it's all those little bits and pieces it's great it, and yeah it continues it and the great thing about it is the tie is in and he, he's very convincing it I, I there is parts of absolute brilliance in there, you know, even Ryan Johnson, how he he threw out a little a little bit of a spanner in there in Last Jedi in the little temple where they got that little pool of like a mosaic on the ground. And it's right there. It said like the, the original Force users were grey Jedi. It's 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 obviously there. A light and um, a dark together, solid. You use both for the advancement. For the Force is the Force. It's not a um, a black and a white. It's not a you know yin and a yang. It's together which is very clever, I thought. Fanta tracks.
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think that's very, very, very well said. But yeah, going back to what Adam said, um, I, I yeah, I think uh, that's a good point. You know, 1 through 6 is really the same story. It is, yeah. In 1. But uh, 7, 8, 9, you know, it's more of a, almost a throwback to those 6 previous movies, but it's completely completely you know it's still a Skywalker blood but it's it's uh yeah it's 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 it's, it's right, like you said, the bonus content.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the biggest the biggest mistake that Bob Iger, got and the, the you know, whatever was happening at, at Lucas all the time, yeah, you know, Lucas said, look, here's the stuff. Here's the notes for the sequel trilogy, have at it guys and they just went, Uh bacteria force uh midi chlorines, yep, they literally threw it out. And unfortunately, that connectivity, I don't think they understood without those notes. And that's, well, we have a bit of a fluctuation in what's going on. You know, the balance, the communication between directors and creatives gave us a kind of disjointed trilogy there.
1: Yeah, would you say that's the cause
0: of the tension in fandom right I, now? I think so, yeah, yeah. you know, Because, again, we got some um, three great, great films each of them to their own, but I think that the story, the continuity of that story, and I mean, that goes back to, you know, whether it's the, the story group behind them or the directors not talking to each other and going, all right, well, this person did this. Again, the filmmakers have the ultimate choice at the end of the day of what they want to do. But I think, um, you know, the communication of those and saying, and have maybe a meeting of the minds and an agreement, okay, well, I'm planning to do this. Let's somehow map that together. So what your film ends here, I do this, whatever it is. And unfortunately, I think that's, yeah, definitely marred the pot. You can definitely see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't even remember the fan community being this divided when the prequels mm. came out. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty harsh um, on the prequels, but not like this. You know what? I don't... You know, the thing about it, they were harsh on the prequels, but we didn't have the social media. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And they didn't have the voice.
1: Yeah, you know, the only time it would be harsh is if you were at the bar having a pint, or if you had some friends over, you know, or if you were, I, you know, going to even to the celebrations, you know, if you were at celebration one, two, or three, I, I never heard anybody bash the prequels at those things, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, so it's it was more like, you know, kind of bad-mouthing the, the prequels in the garage or at the bar. Now it's like social media is, is definitely the ultimate weapon that everybody uses and hides behind uh so it's a different time you know as well in fandom i believe
0: you know oh definitely and i think at the end of the day it also brings out more critics of each thing that goes out there and uh, and um i think the only thing that is surviving right now is kevin foggy's big marvel franchise but even that is now gonna you know it's it's come to such a high level that people expectation is going to be the thing that brings it down
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, I, I, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard the Marvel fans have kind of been upset, you know. And um, I, I'm not. I'm not a hardcore Marvel or DC person. I'm not, I don't prefer one over the other. Mm. Um, I enjoy them for the novelty, I guess. You know, like the throwback. Yeah. I like, yeah, I grew up on Superman. I watch the new Superman movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or I remember uh, getting an Iron Man uh, action figure in 1985. Yeah, I'll check out the new Iron Man movie.
0: You know, it's more of a of a, 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 a retro thing for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Look, you know, I got yelled at uh, a little while ago because I said the second G.I. Joe movie that came out was a better film than one of the the Avengers movies because it's just fun. Like, it's, it's cheap. Bit of fun, you know, and the rock's in it, you know, and they were having fun. Like, uh, at the end of the day, the Avengers got so much going on and they did do the right thing. They kept that sort of continuity and story fluid throughout. So if you watched one, you needed to watch the one before it. And I think that's the only thing that takes yeah, you out yeah. of it because you've, you've got to keep up on all of it.
1: Well, I think there's the, the, the characters too in, in, like, the Avenger movies or any, any uh, superhero movie where you have multiple superheroes with big backstories you know that's the thing GI Joe didn't have that yeah it was it was fun it was easy to follow you didn't have to watch nine other movies to get it you
0: know <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, definitely definitely and we got and characters simple. like um, director Taco Taika Waititi now doing Mandalorian which is just great because he's such a a character himself you know like and he played a rock creature in Ragnarok you know he's this big guy comes up to Chris Hemsworth he goes I wish I had my hammer he goes, you had the hammer, yeah, yeah. I used to ride my hammer. You wrote your hammer brew. <laughs> All these great lines. <laughs> it's just, just brilliant.
1: I, I, I think I the thing I like about the Mandalorian too. One of the many things is that it's fun. You know, it's 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 a no. fun, easy thing to follow. You oh, know, yeah. and. Uh,
0: The fan community, all the tension there. I feel like we need something fun now. You oh, yeah, know? definitely, definitely. You need that that little bit of. Um, and the thing is, it is. It's bounty hunters, man. They're just getting out there doing what they got to do. Yeah. And why not have the boss be Apollo Creed? That's awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it, it's. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to the second season, and I hope they keep it going. I think that would be my biggest disappointment. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want another disappointment in Star Wars. I would be disappointed if they didn't do the Cassian series. And I would be disappointed if they canceled the Mandalorian series. Because yeah. I think that enough. I don't need 12 Star Wars movies mm. in the future to fill my fandom. I mean, God, I mean, how many? We only had three movies for how many years, right? Oh, so. That's right. That's right as far as the future of Star Wars goes, I
0: don't need that much. I just want it fun and something that I can enjoy. (laughs) You know, we we were sitting back watching that third episode of um, Mandalorian and, you know, he's getting his ass handed to him. Like, he's getting beaten around the place. Every bounty hunter's coming out and potting for him. And then all of a sudden, the whole Mandalorian tribe comes up flying on jetpacks. You know, like, oh, this was like Rogue One <laughs> all over again. I'm like, yeah, you know, and Favreau's in the big fella, you know, he's got the big minigun. He's like, you know, like, it's like, you know, we'll get you out of here. You know, like, yes, you know, this is the way. This is the way it became a new thing for us. It was like, you know, use the force, Luke, or whatever, you know, may the force be with you. This is the way. This
1: is the way. <laughs> Amen to that, man. Amen to that. Yeah, it's... I, I feel like uh, The Mandalorian has done a really good job It, you know, it, it feels like that Rogue One type feeling. feels like the original movies. And there's part of it that is kind of similar, uh, even what they what they were trying to do with Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones. Oh, yeah. So, again, it's that familiarity. And... You know, I think the familiarity was kind of forced in seven,
0: eight, and nine. Definitely, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. There's, there's, there's something about that the, the genuine nature of the Mandalorian just really got you there. And I think that will continue with Kenobi the series. You know, when that finally, you know, oh made, yeah, yeah. Oh you know? well, God, even you have the biggest. I trip. don't think you. I
1: don't
0: think you and McGregor could do anything wrong,
1: really. <laughs> yeah.
0: Look, he is Kenobi. You know, like the big thing with him is, how are they going to do Jedi? In disguise, because he's literally—he won't be able to pop out the way and go, because he can't do that stuff in this. He has to be really, well, like, he'll be like Inspector Gadget, man. He'll be have to keep the robes on, you know, use the force here and there, and go. Oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, otherwise he has yeah, put a when, target on himself.
1: when I first saw it, Episode One, man, I had a huge. Huge man crush on Ewan McGregor, and I went. I, was, I got every single film that he was in, and I watched it. And I, I don't, yeah, I mean, even if the story sucked, if you, he's he's obviously in the film and in the series. I I have no doubt that that series would be
0: awesome oh, yeah, because, yeah. Of because of him. Without that, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I look back on uh, Phantom Menace, and the three badass asses in that movie, the badasses were. Palpatine, um, Maul, and Obi-Wan, and they're all Scotsmen. So there's something about the Scottish blood for Jedi, you know? You, you know they, they're just, we're even just Force users. You know, I think Ray needs to be involved in this series. He just needs to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's just the best. But um, before we wrap up, um, let us know what you're currently doing. I hear somebody's doing some YouTube videos, some new, new content that you've got going on? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I've, I've opened up a can of worms here in uh, quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, You know, I've, I've, been, I've been working on the last half of our reality show, The Real Fans of the Saga, which is obviously a play on the Real Housewives series that is popular here in the States. Uh, on bravo on the bravo network um so while i was uh, getting a little tired of i needed a little bit of a breather while i'm finishing up that i got the there's six more episodes to be released on amazon so i have six up there now and um when i was i needed a break from editing uh like the like the 10th episode right So I'm like, oh, you know, I like doing these Zoom chats with my friends now in quarantine talking about Star Wars. So then I got this idea. I'm like, oh, I've been on all these podcast shows over the last handful of years. I'm like, I was running the damn one, that. I'm like, I'm doing my own video cast, my own webcast, you know. So now I find myself spending hours on end editing these things down, putting visuals in there adding, you know, very minor effects as far as, like, text goes, some storyline of something that we're talking about, um, album covers, you know, we talk a lot about music, we talk a lot about Star Wars. So that is called Mocktails from the Cantina. That is, right now it's free. Why I put it out there for free, I don't know, because it's it's a labor of love that it'd be nice to at least get beer money. (laughs) 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 For putting (laughs) it But it's it's pretty much a chat that we have a cocktail with. Um, It's a one-on-one, and I talk Star Wars, music, a little bit of baseball, um, all kinds of other things with people that were involved in uh, all my old film projects. So there's a lot of backstory, a lot of behind-the-scenes, a lot of things that people are learning from people that they know the works of you know so that's for free on youtube Mocktails from the cantina and i have again the two star wars documentaries the walking dead documentary and the reality show all available free with an amazon prime membership just go search chris c-r-i-s mocked m-a-c-h-t my last name and mary
0: on amazon and you'll get all my all my projects available this is awesome folks. You have got to check it out because it really is not only a celebration obviously of Star Wars but you know what Star Wars um, does for us for life, you know. It's an influence. It's it's also you know something we live and breathe. We chat, I mean as you mentioned, we get, I used to go to the pub and you go down to the pub, put down a steak sandwich, you know, and you'd be sitting there with your your, your glass of lager, <laughs> you know, and you'd be like, "You know what? I was watching Return of the Jedi the other day, and I think I saw Dengar." Yep, and then boom, there'd be a whole speech about <laughs> Dengar looking like a toilet roll, you know, because we always used to say, well, you know when you, you throw out your dunny roll, uh, you know, as we call that, that's toilet for uh, Australia guys, dunny we call them, <laughs> you throw out the roll and out comes all this, this you know, bladder of paper. And so people used to do cosplays at Dengar where they'd wrap around themselves in the toilet paper and go, "Right, I can go and hunt that hand Solo fella now bro. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's, that's what we love about star wars is just the chatter yeah yeah you know and, and that, that's that,
1: that's exactly what the youtube show is about it's just about talking star wars over a couple of drinks uh the real fans of the saga is is like that but it's a little bit more i guess drama driven um uh, but th- there's, you know, a lot of these things, when I made the first film back in 2006, God, that was 13, 14 years now. Um, I, I It was in, the first film that I did was inspired by those talks at the bar, talking about Dengar and the toilet paper and seeing him in Return of the Jedi. And I felt like I wasn't able to achieve that until now. <laughs> <laughs> so it took many, many years and trials and tribulations to get to this point but at the end of the day folks it's just all about star wars fandom and
0: having fun and sharing it with other people you know oh it really is and i I want to thank chris for being on tonight and just celebrating star wars chatting about of course what we love about it and folks if you haven't seen rogue one bloody hell get off the the channel straight away jump in to your uh lounge your, your sofa click on Rogue One and just just crank up the volume to the maximum and just enjoy
1: it. And, and, and if you don't like it, give it a second try.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And, oh, look, we haven't even talked about it. I'm going to say just before we go off air here, the U-Wing is my favourite ship.
1: Yeah, the U-Wing is badass. You know, oh, all yeah. the, I don't
0: think there's a bad Star Wars ship. To tell you the truth. <laughs> they're all pretty cool, you know. It wouldn't get off the bloody drafting table if it wasn't cool.
1: Yeah,
0: amen to that. Amen to that. Definitely. Well, I want to thank Chris for being on the show, tonight. and um, mate, you're welcome back anytime here in the Panther from Down Under. Shoot the breeze.
1: Hey, cheers and thanks for having me, man. I know you've been trying to get me on the show now for a couple months, so I'm glad we uh, were able to pull it off. Awesome. So be be safe and stay healthy.
0: We'll do, and may the force be with you, my brother.
1: Morgan Demark, mit dir sein.
0: And a big thanks to Chris Marked for being on the show tonight. And stay tuned, folks, because next week on The Phantom from Down Under, we have joining us the Star Wars author and Marvel author, Adam Bray, coming back for a chat on Star Wars and much more here on Phantom Tracks Radio. The Phantom from Down Under. I'm Adam O'Brien. Catch you next time. May the Force be with you. The Phantom Tracks
1: Radio. This is The Phantom from Down Under. Star Wars news in a single file.
0: Coming to you live from Quinlan's Cantina in the Gold Coast of Australia. This is your slice of Australian Star Wars news, hosted by the Malt himself,
1: Adam Pope. Alrighty, righty, mate. Let's get into Let's it. Get into <laughs> it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio. It's making tracks.